0: Welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. A friend of mine was telling me a story the other day about going uh, to visit her grandmother. And she actually said this happens a few times, uh, and maybe what she's going to describe is something that you're familiar with as well. She said, I went over to my grandmother's house and I was trying to help her by doing some cooking in the kitchen. And she said, I picked up a frying pan And the frying pan, the handle was all cracked. Uh, It looked like it had broken off a a couple of times from the base. And there were screws that were in it and duct tape. And the pan was warped. And she's like, Grandma, I'm going to throw this out. Like, this is not good. And it could possibly be dangerous when you're cooking. And she said her grandmother was like, no, 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 don't throw it out. Like, you know how much those cost? Like, uh, we can fix it. <laughs> and then she said, invariably a story um, from, you know, growing up and living through the Great Depression or the World War, you know, and how things were scarce and it was very hard to find anything. Things were very expensive. You kept and preserved everything you had. <laughs> you know, it was a sense in which her grandmother, after, you know, um, what was a very necessary thing for a period of time through a crisis like the Great Depression or World War had become a way of life for her now, even when that way of life wasn't necessarily needed anymore and possibly might even have been dangerous to her in the case of the frying pan. Now, that's just about a frying pan, but for a whole different set of reasons, you and I, I think, find ourselves in a similar situation where what was necessary for a period of time to get through a crisis has become a way of life that is not only not necessary anymore, but is possibly even dangerous to us. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Well, I'm not going to use uh, the, the P word, <laughs> um, but we've been through something uh, that was a crisis for a period of time and had to adopt a way of being in that that was necessary but isn't any more. And if I can say it in two words, I'll use Spanish words, not English words. It's this, mi casa. Mi casa, which in Spanish, those of you know, means my house. My house. I mean, quite literally for a period of time, it was the only place you were allowed to go. Su casa, your house, like the the house is where you're supposed to be. And you're not allowed to go to anyone else's casa. No one can come into yours. It was the only place you were allowed to be. And then, of course, we started to realize, hey, I want to fix my house a little bit. And so home renovation projects started all over the place. And then the, the housing market itself, unpredictably in one sense, exploded after going through this. And again, I'm not using the P word and you're like, yeah, isn't that over? Yeah, it is over. but some of the things, our attitudes and approaches from it have remained. (laughs) Because even after you were allowed to go into other people's houses and people were allowed to come into yours and were allowed to go to restaurants and all that kind of stuff, the mentality of Mikasa remained. And what I mean is this, at a deeper level, this idea of looking after me, my household, my family, my well-being, my world has become our way of life. That in a sense, we are still closed off in many ways to what's happening outside our house, and our primary preoccupation has remained, though it was necessary for a period of time. Now that that's over, it has become a way of life of thinking about me and mine first. And along with that, what feels like a diminished capacity to think about and serve others or go beyond our mindset, which makes... A week like this that we're starting, Live on Mission, (laughs) feel a little bit foreign to us. Live on Mission. It's actually what we call one of our faith catalysts, and we're in a Live on Mission week. To Live on Mission, we say, is one of the ways that God actually works to change us and help us to grow, that we become new people. We come alive in Jesus, (laughs) this new life that he has given us in part by joining God on the mission that he is on in the world. And what is that mission? God's mission is to save and redeem and rescue and heal and restore and reconcile our world back to himself and and into a new way that it was meant to be. That this is the mission that God is on. And to live on mission is to realize God invites us to join him. And we have this week that we've set aside, and we're actually adding a second week in September so that two weeks a year, we spend particular focus thinking about how we join God on the mission that he's on, both locally and globally around the world. And yet, because of Mikasa, because of the, what we have been through over the last little while that has now cemented a mindset that thinks first about me and mine, Live On Mission can feel like a threat to Mikasa. And so my prayer and hope is even as we enter this week, that we would realize that God is inviting us to live on mission with Him because He has something more for us, something beautiful for us, something good and life-giving, something that perhaps we desperately need after what we've been through. Now, I don't know whether it's comforting or sobering to you to realize that this is not new, even though the circumstances we've been through over the last little while are unique, This is not new to the people of God. Um, We're going to hear in a moment um, from a a letter, a passage of writing that was uh, preserved for us and written about 2,500 years ago from um, the prophet Haggai, a messenger of God written to the people of God to try to help them grapple with or in a sense wrestle with something that had become a way of life for them that was necessary for a period of time but now is actually possibly hurting them. Uh, A couple of weeks ago we heard that um, the prophet, the prophetic writings that we have in scripture, the prophets were not so much people who were telling the future, like a, a prophecy about the future. In fact, more often they were speaking the words of God into the present to the people of God most often to warn them that the path they were on or the trajectory they were, they were on was heading possibly to a dangerous place. And this is exactly what this prophet Haggai in this book that we're going to read from shortly today was saying to these people. Uh, in a sense, it's kind of a jolt or a wake-up call, uh, or, um, uh, uh, a sort of a warning to the people at that time. Now, the people that he was speaking to in the context of this letter, and we, we heard last week about how important context is, is the people who had returned from Babylon to the city of Jerusalem. They were Jewish people, many of whom had grown up in Jerusalem, the capital city. But when the Babylonian army had come to Jerusalem and overtaken it, it had destroyed the houses, burned the city gates and the walls, destroyed the temple, and deported a whole bunch of people to Babylon. Seventy years later, they were returning. Some of them having lived through the crisis of what they saw in Jerusalem, the deportation to Babylon, having to live in this foreign country with their enemies to come back. Others had never lived in Jerusalem originally. They were born in Babylon, but they were returning to a city and a whole life that needed to be rebuilt. Their homes, their city, their businesses, their life, and the temple. And they were in the process of rebuilding. But 16 years into that process, Something had gone wrong, and God sends his messenger, Haggai, to the people. It was something that had gone wrong with Mikasa, and I want you to listen to this passage and see if you can spot it.
1: In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Chilatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little." You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? declares the lord almighty because of my house which remains a ruin while well, each of you is busy with your own house therefore because of you the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops i called for a drought on the fields and the mountains on the grain the new wine the olive oil and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands
0: What was God's messenger saying to his people? <laughs> if I could summarize it in a sentence, it was like God saying to them, hey, you've forgotten about Mikasa, <laughs> my house, God's house. And this maybe sounds arrogant, right? Of God. It's like God saying, hey, you've forgotten all about me. Pay attention to me. Look at me. Is that what's going on here? There's actually, like, stay with me because there's far more to this story. There's a deeper level to this whole conversation in a sense that God is having with his people through his messenger, Haggai. Part of what we have to figure out is like, what happened here? So as I said, 16 years earlier, A number of people had returned to the city of Jerusalem, and they were tasked with having to rebuild their lives and their city and the house of God, the temple. And they had come back with this kind of a sense of excitement and and vision and hope for being home again, or for some of them, for the next generation, to see what home really was for the first time. But it was a monumental task of having to rebuild everything at the same time. We know actually, and we looked at this passage at the beginning of this year together as a church, but we know if you read a little bit earlier in scripture, they started with the temple. And the reason they started with the temple was it was a way of saying and recognizing for themselves, hey... We need to rebuild. We have a monumental task here, rebuilding our whole lives. We're going to start with rebuilding our lives around God and God's house and God's presence and, and God being with us and starting there, starting with worship, putting God at the center. And he will, with his help, we will do all of the other rebuilding that has to happen. So they started. They laid the foundation of the temple. But after that, history tells us, they stopped. They stopped. Why? Well, they started building their own Homes after that, and that just became all-consuming. They had lots of time and energy that they had to put into their own homes, and they neglected the house of God. Now, God's house here, I'm you know literally means the temple in a sense, um, but the the idea of God's house for the people of God meant much more than just the temple. Um, the, it was it was not like a Just a building. It was symbolic of the the way that like God's house and God's perspective and what it meant to have God at the center of their lives. (laughs) Um, It was a life built around God's ways, God's values, God's purposes, God's plans. That's what the house of God meant to them, and that's why God had told them from the beginning: start here with my house. (laughs) And yet they gave up after a period of time. And the prophet comes to them in a sense with a bit of a jolt, saying to them, and he says a couple times in verse 5, verse 7, give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. In other words, guys, wake up. Think about it. Look at what is going on in your life. You started here putting God first, building this house, and now you've built your own houses. Now, pay attention, but look at what's happened. In other words, you've put so much energy and time and effort and heart into your own house, but think about it. And he goes through a list. He says, give careful thought to your ways. In other words, think about your life. Isn't this true? You've planted much, but harvested little. You were hungry and you ate, but you're hungry again. You drink but you're never fully satisfied. You earn money and you put it into purses that have holes in it. And you think, where did it go, right? This idea of purses with holes in it. It's like, we're, we're working so hard to make money. Where did it all go? <laughs> Maybe some of you have had those conversations recently with yourself or your spouse or whatever. He said, think about your ways. You're putting so much energy into this. You're planting a lot. You're working hard, but it seems you get back less than you're putting in. You eat but you're never fully you're always still hungry you drink but you're never fully satisfied you earn money and it seems to disappear where did it all go he's pointing out he's helping them see think about it there's a futility and a perpetual striving to all of the energy that you're putting into Mikasa, my house my life my well-being think about it for a second where does it go there's a futility around that and he actually says why Why does that seem, and and maybe even as you're listening, you're like, yeah, that kind of describes some of what I feel at times in my life. All this energy poured into getting less back from the work that I'm putting into. Hungry, but, you know, eating, but never, but still hungry again. Drinking, never satisfied. Where did the money go? He actually gives a couple reasons for it. One is, in a sense, it'll never be enough. It'll never be enough, right? You eat, because you're hungry, But the next day, you're hungry again. You drink, but you need to drink again. You keep earning. It keeps disappearing. So you have to earn more. And it keeps on going. In one sense, he's pointed this out. The the futility that you feel, the striving. And I'm trying to get you to see, think about your life. Isn't this true? Why is this true? Because you're chasing a lie. It'll never be enough. This idea that like, okay, just let me get settled. You know, I just need to make sure I've got my house in order and earn enough money and uh, you know, have all of my needs met. And then I can think about other people. Then I can think about beyond my doors. Then I can think about what God wants for my life. He's saying, you're chasing an illusion. You'll never get there. It'll never be enough. It'll always feel like you need more. (laughs) But the second reason he gives to that feeling of striving and never quite being fulfilled or satisfied is one we're probably less comfortable with, (laughs) but is right here in the text. Because God says, because I'm standing in the way, I'm not letting you do it. He says this, what you brought home, I blew away, (laughs) right? He's pointing, he's saying, think about it. You're striving. And he says, actually, I'm a part of this equation too. I'm not letting you just look after you and yours. I'm not letting you get fully satisfied in what you're doing with your life. To which we're like, well, isn't that mean of God? Is God selfish? Is it like saying, hey, I'm not going to let you build your house because my house isn't finished yet and you can't build your house? Is that what God's saying? I mean, it's kind of like we might think, oh, this is who God is. But I think there's something, a couple of things really important to, to remember. Actually, this, the temple, when it was built the first time by King Solomon uh, a few hundred years earlier, when Solomon finished building the temple, he said something very profound. He's like, as if God could live in a house built by human hands. I mean, even the heavens can't contain God, how much less a building, right? God doesn't need a house to live in, and therefore he's homeless and he's non-existent or something like that. In fact, there's another part in scripture where God says to his people, if I needed something, I wouldn't ask you. (laughs) Which sounds a bit, you know, snarky, but it's actually the most beautiful words we can hear from God. Because if God needed us, then we're in the most terrifying codependent relationship of all time, where we need the God of the universe and the God of the universe somehow needs us. He's like, I don't need you. I don't need a temple. I don't need a house. I would, if I needed something, I was hungry. I wouldn't ask you. So what's this about? Why is he saying to them, hey, is it right that you live in your house with everything's finished and the way it is, and the house of God is still in rubble? Is that right? Give careful thought to your ways. What you're bringing home, I blew away. I won't let you. Why? If God doesn't need anything from us, as one person has said, but he wants things for us, then what is this about? Why was he telling them to reprioritize the house of God? you need to make my house first on your list, it's like he's saying, so that you don't become a people so selfish, so insular, so deaf to the needs and cries of the world, and so consumed with the stuff of life that cannot truly ever satisfy anyway. <laughs> right? God not allowing his people and us to just fully throw ourselves into what me and my household need. casa, what I need, what I want, and not just the building of the house, but the focus on myself, my daily needs. The reason God is good for not letting us fully feel satisfied is, is the reason he's part of maybe us feeling like there's a futility to that if we just keep striving to do that is because he's rescuing us, warning us, keeping us away from becoming people who are so insular, so selfish, so deaf to the needs and the cries of the people around us and keep on running on this treadmill of trying to satisfy our own needs. Which is why years later, when God became a human and had no home, and didn't carry a purse, and didn't run a business or own a piece of land that he could make money for himself, Jesus Christ, he said this, Seek first God's kingdom, and everything else will be added to you as well. This is a matter of where your heart, your values, your passions, your desires are first. We need to eat. We need to drink. We need to work. We need to study. We need to put a roof over our heads. Like all of those are good things. If we don't have them, we can't live. We need them. But this is about priority. This is about where our hearts go. This is where our passions, our dreams, our energies, our striving goes into. Jesus, years later, put in more clear words what God was saying through the prophet Haggai here. Put my house first. <laughs> in a sense, it's like if, if Haggai spoke Spanish, Right. Uh, he, was, he would be encouraging us as the people to say to God, God, tu casa es mi casa. God, your house is my, ho- is my home. Your house is what my heart longs for. Your house, your ways, your values, your purposes, your plans, your dreams is what has captured my heart. That's where my heart is first. This is what Haggai is saying to the people as a rescue, as a warning from the striving and the futility of just trying over and over and over to fill our purse, fill our wallets, fill our homes, fill our bank accounts, fill our bellies, fill our minds. It'll never be enough. And God, if he's good, won't let it be enough for us. (laughs) He wants us to put his house first, which means what for us? I mean, you know, like we don't have a building, you know, so we're not under any illusion that this means about, we have to make sure we're all building the church, the house of God in that sense. What does this mean for us as the people of God? Well, for sure, for us as the well, we don't own any building, so it's, it's, we're under no illusion that that's what this means. The house of God for us in that sense, or the kingdom of God, if I can use those terms interchangeably, is not about a what or a where, but about Who? Who? The house of God is who the people God has called us to, to prioritize and love and first in his values and his plans. First and foremost, the people we are with in, at the well, the community of faith that God has brought together, the house of God is the people of God in Vaughan, in King City, in Bolton. But it's also the people in the cities, in our neighborhoods, in our towns that are around us, the people he has called us to, building God's house or God's kingdom outside our own house, outside our own front door, outside the walls of our own little world. Not just the people we're with in the house of God, but the people he's called us to, and, which is what we're focusing on today, the partners that God has brought us to us at the well to work with, to work alongside in building God's house. It's not really a where, it's a who. Each other, our neighbors, and our partners and the rest of today we're actually going to get a chance to hear from some of our partners in each of our sites and the work that they are doing you know the fact is like <clears throat> over the last couple of years in many ways we were having to retreat to our houses the work of ministering to and serving people <clears throat> who are hurting who are broken who are trafficked who are marginalized who are struggling continued on In many ways, our partners had to do that without the help of the broader faith communities that were shut down for a period of time. And so part of this Live on Mission Week is us re-engaging in that call along with the partners God has entrusted us, the who, to come alongside them in the who they are ministering to as they seek to build the world of God's plans and God's purposes um, and God's dreams in this world around us. And so that's what we're doing for the rest of today. But my prayer and hope for us as a church is that we enter into or continue on in this Live On Mission week, that God would be stirring our hearts, that he would be lifting our eyes up above our own, you know, sort of mi casa, our house only, and to say to God, God, tu casa mi casa, your house is my house. Your house, your plans, your dreams are what my heart beats for or beats for again. That this would be a gift to us to be reminded that we have been invited by this God who is building his kingdom in the world, to live on mission with him.